You're tuned into the Tokyo Living Podcast, where we help you live a healthy and enjoyable life in one of the most amazing cities in the world. On this episode of the Injury Edition, Sam discusses the topic of sports related concussion. Tokyo Living is proudly brought to you by Club 360, changing lives through health and fitness. Hello, everyone, welcome back to the Tokyo Living Podcast Injury Edition. Today, we're going to be discussing concussion. Now, today's episode will have a specific focus on sports-related concussion. However, the physiological uh, underpinnings of concussion are the same, uh, regardless of the mechanism of injury. And the principles applied to diagnosis and rehabilitation um, are really the same whether we're um, returning someone back uh, to you know, high-level sport or just to a normal uh, working and normal activity environment. Now, the Concussion in Sport group had uh, their sixth international um, conference on concussion in sport um, in Amsterdam in October last year. And uh, earlier this year released the sixth uh, international uh, consensus statement on concussion. And because you know, the, the research and the science around concussion is still relatively new, um, the way that we're going about um, assessing concussion and, and managing this condition is you know, constantly evolving. And uh, I think it's important uh, for, for people, you know, athletes and non-athletes, to be aware of some of um, you know, the, the important elements of, uh, of this sort of condition and also just aware of the role of physiotherapy uh, in the management and the return to function. So I'll just talk a little bit about um, you know, what a concussion actually is. And we'll start with the updated uh, definition of a concussion. Now, if you're watching the uh, video version of this and it looks like I'm reading this definition word for word, that's because I'm reading the definition word for word. I uh, will definitely not be able to remember uh, this definition, but um, we'll just go through it and then sort of talk through some of the elements. So sports-related concussion is a traumatic brain injury caused by a direct blow to the head neck or body resulting in an impulsive force being transmitted to the brain that occurs in sports and exercise related activities. This initiates a neurotransmitter and metabolic cascade with possible an axonal injury, blood flow change and inflammation affecting the brain. Symptoms and signs may be present immediately or evolve over minutes or hours and commonly resolve within days but may be prolonged. No abnormality is seen on standard structural neuroimaging studies computerized tomography or magnetic resonance imaging T1 and T2 weighted images. But in the research setting, abnormalities may be present on functional blood flow or metabolic imaging studies. Sports-related concussion results in a range of clinical symptoms and signs that may or may not involve loss of consciousness. The clinical symptoms and signs of concussion cannot be explained solely by, but may occur concomitantly with, drug, alcohol or medication use, other injuries such as neck injuries, peripheral vestibular dysfunction or other comorbidities um, such as psychological factors or coexisting medical conditions. <clears throat> so a few important things there. Um, the first is that a loss of consciousness does not need to occur for a concussion uh, to be diagnosed. So um, you don't need to be knocked unconscious. Um, there doesn't need to be that loss of consciousness there. And I think this is one of the things that um, people perhaps not, might not understand and might lead to um, you know, someone not receiving an accurate diagnosis of a concussion. 
Concussion may be caused uh, by a direct blow to the head, which is you know, usually the most common uh, mechanism of injury, but it might also be caused by a blow to the body. So if there's enough trauma in a blow uh, lower down uh, on the body that causes enough movement at the head, then that can also cause a concussion. And the other important thing is that often there's no abnormality seen on a scan. So we think of concussion as a functional diagnosis as opposed to a structural one. So when we're going about making a diagnosis of a concussion, it's not something that we go off and, and get scanned and that gives us a diagnosis. Our diagnosis is based on a, uh, a clinical examination. Um, what's happening when you have that trauma, um, basically that's uh, you know, inducing a depolarization and a change in the neurotransmitter uh, balance uh, within the brain. Um, and this basically leads to local inflammation and interruptions within some of those neural connections. COP360 is Tokyo's premier health, fitness and rehabilitation centre, offering physiotherapy, osteopathy, personal training, group fitness classes, boxing, sports massage, pilates and nutrition consultations. With two full-time locations in Moto Azabu and Higashi Azabu, as well as satellite physiotherapy practices in Shibukoen and Yokohama, COP360 boasts a team of high-level practitioners from all over the world, ready to take care of your injury and fitness needs and guide you on a path towards a healthier and happier life. Come visit us at cop360.jp or follow us at cop360rupongi on Facebook and Instagram. Now back to the show. In terms of the management of concussion, um, this uh, had been previously uh, yeah, described in terms of the four R's, uh, recognize, reduce, remove, refer. Um, the concussion in sport group seemed to be somewhat obsessed with R's and in the fifth consensus statement they'd worked their way up to 11 R's and uh, in the most recent consensus statement we now have 13 R's. Um, and I guess this is just a, an easy way to remember, remember the different elements of concussion management. So at the moment we have recognize, reduce, remove, refer, re-evaluate, rest, rehabilitate, recover, return to learn, return to sport, reconsider, and residual effects. And then the most recent ones to be added to that list are retire and refine. So we're gonna go through these individually, and as we do, we'll sort of discuss some of the, the different elements of concussion management. Um, I do think that um, going through these 13 Rs actually provides you know, a, a pretty good framework for discussing you know, different elements of concussion. Um, some of them will uh, have you know, a certain degree of overlap, um, but uh, overall I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good way to, um, to, to break these elements down. So the first one is recognise. So um, when someone suffers an, an, an acute concussion, um, some of the symptoms that they might experience are uh, you know, confusion, a state of not being aware of the surroundings, um, delay in answering questions, or you know, sort of that blank expression, that um, lack of ability to uh, you know, properly communicate with, with others. Um, things like uh, headache, dizziness, nausea, uh, a loss of balance, um, general sort of feeling of being stunned or dazed, um, and then also disturbances within uh, vision, such as uh, double vision, um, blurred vision, or, or seeing lights. And if someone is experiencing uh, any of these symptoms, um, it's important to 
uh, you know, have, have them examined by a medical professional. So, yeah, the first step is recognizing that there are, may be symptoms of a, there are symptoms that may be uh, suggestive of a concussion and that someone should go on for further testing. Uh, now, if you're uh, playing sport and you have a, a doctor or physiotherapist, um, you know, courtside or, or um, fieldside, then they should be able to perform a, uh, an acute assessment um, at the time. Now, the uh, most common assessment is called the Sports Concussion Assessment Tool, and uh, this is commonly known as the SCAT, and at this sixth consensus statement, they released the sixth version of this. So we have now the SCAT 6. And so this is used, um, it was previously used as a, um, a, a concussion assessment tool right from the early stage through to the latter stage. However, we, um, we use the SCAT assessment now just as an acute assessment. Uh, and then after the sort of 72 hour period, then we sort of go on to a, a separate assessment. So um, if you do, uh, if you are in a sporting, sporting environment where there is a medical professional uh, present, then uh, they should be performing an acute uh, concussion assessment. So the next R we're going to talk about is reduce. Now, um, this comes next in their order. I probably should have shuffled up this order, but uh, we're here, so let's talk about this now. Um, basically, as a, as a society, but in, um, in terms of sport, um, wherever we're working with athletes um, and, and performing sports activities, we want to try and mitigate the risk of concussion uh, as much as possible. So uh, obviously, over the, the last several decades, as um, both the acute and long-term um, yeah, sequelae of uh, a concussion have be, gained more attention. Um, there's been rule changes and equipment changes implemented uh, to try and decrease uh, the concussion risk. So the ones that were focused on in the sixth uh, edition of uh, this consensus were things like mouth guards, uh, especially in sports like hockey, um, or for people uh, from you know, countries like Australia where they play different uh, types of hockey where you don't need uh, to be on ice, uh, we would call it ice hockey. Um, so, you know, equipment and rule changes uh, are important. Um, it's always a, a very, uh, you know, um, contentious area where we're talking about rule changes because some of the things that, um, you know, make many sports you know, very exciting um, are some of the more violent aspects that uh, do, you know, lead themselves to um, you know, increased risk of concussion. So. These sort of discussions around rule and equipment changes are things that are going to be ongoing uh, and things that are going to sort of progress and evolve and become more refined over time. So other things such as you know, general conditioning um, and also you know, more sports skill related things such as you know, developing awareness of, uh, of certain elements of play that may put um, someone at a higher you know, risk of uh, a direct head contact. Um, and also, as I said, general conditioning, you know, often when we're fatigued, our ability to react and our decision making might become poorer. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the more that we can improve our overall conditioning, the less likelihood uh, there is of a concussion. Um, neck strengthening. Now, um, in terms of research around neck strengthening, it's still sort of in its infancy. Um, there does appear to be some benefit of neck strengthening in more uh, sort of non-contact or, or lighter contact sports, um, whereas we don't 
at the moment have that data for you know, direct contact sports such as rugby, um, yeah, American football and combat sports. Now the thought behind that is that um, a certain amount of neck strength might buffer someone uh, against a concussion if it was like a fall to the ground that, that caused that concussion or just a, a knock to the body that caused secondary uh, concussion to the head. Um, but if you're being punched in the head or if you're receiving direct trauma to the head, um, with direct contact to another opponent, um, then we're not sure at the moment whether an increase in neck strength is actually going to be sufficient um, to decrease the amount of movement and, uh, and the amount of you know, movement within the brain uh, that, that would lead to a concussion. From my perspective though, um, I think it's worth trying. I think uh, in general, doing isolated strengthening such as neck strengthening um, is relatively, uh, you know, not, not particularly time consuming. And you know, at, at a minimum, it's likely to decrease the risk of neck injury, even if it doesn't decrease the risk of, uh, of concussion. So you know, it's likely to be a net positive and whether it um, you know, decreases the risk of concussion uh, or not, we're not quite sure at the moment. You know, there's going to be, you know, in the next uh, decade or two, we're going to have um, greater research in relation to that. Um, but uh, as far as I'm concerned at the moment, I definitely think that it's something that uh, the athletes performing uh, sports, in particular contact sports, in particular sports where there's a risk of head trauma, uh, it's something that those athletes should be doing. Alana Jade is a friendly bilingual salon located in Azubu-Juban, Tokyo where they provide a private and relaxing haven where guests come to escape the hustle and bustle of city life. Ilana Jade's wide range of deluxe beauty treatments of facials, nails, waxing, massage and eyelashes will have you looking your best from head to toe. Receive 20% off your first treatment by mentioning Tokyo Living Podcast when booking. The next R we'll talk about is remove. Um, so this can be viewed in a, in a couple of different ways. Um, so there's obviously the removal of the athlete from play immediately. So if someone does have any of the, um, uh, the symptoms of concussion, then removing them from the ground and having them take no further part in that activity. Um, from there, we need to look at an appropriate uh, return to play or return to activity time. So we'll discuss that in a little more detail when we get to the rehabilitation stage. Um, there, there is a risk of uh, much further damage if someone sustains a second concussion within a certain amount of time. Now we call this the second impact syndrome. So in general, like we, we explained earlier, um, concussion is primarily a functional diagnosis, not a structural one. However, following a, uh, a concussion, part of the uh, functional impairments is a decrease in cerebral blood flow. And because of this, if we have a, a second head trauma during this period where we have that decreased blood flow, we do risk um, a, a much higher uh, degree of, of, of risk of um, injury to different parts of the brain, which then may result in uh, further long-term damage. And uh, there have been you know, reported cases of death uh, with this second impact syndrome. So it is important uh, to definitely you know, remove someone from the field of play um, on at the time of concussion with no further participation on that day, and then making sure that they are fully recovered prior to returning to uh, contact sport. The next R is recovery. Uh, now, obviously, if you've sustained a concussion, uh, we want to recover from it. 
Um, the typical recovery from a concussion is around 10 days. However, there is a massive uh, range in which someone can recover from concussion from you know, anywhere from a couple of days to uh, even up to a year. So while that 10 days is, is, is average time for recovery, uh, the, range is very, the range is very broad. So we can't just say to someone after they've uh, sustained a concussion, you know, we're gonna sit you out for two weeks and you'll be right to go back to play. So as with any injury, we can't make it uh, purely time-based. Uh, it needs to be criterion-based and people must fulfill each criteria as they go along their rehabilitation. Some of the things that might influence how quickly one recovers from a concussion. Um, we used to think that females and younger individuals would uh, take longer or, or you know, children would take longer. Um, however, um, based on the research presented in the most recent con uh, concussion consensus, um, this isn't the case. And so age and gender don't seem to have an impact on recovery time. Loss of consciousness, likewise, does not have an impact uh, on recovery time. However, amnesia uh, around the time of the concussion does. So if someone does have memory loss associated with uh, the concussive event, then they're likely to have a prolonged recovery. Um, fogginess, that specific symptom may be associated with uh, ongoing issues and in particular dizziness sort of one to two weeks um, is predictive for development of persistent symptoms. Cognitive deficits, um, so issues with concentration, um, issues with memory, issues with cognitive functioning, um, you know, within those first few days of the concussion um, are correlated with longer pro uh, prolonged recovery time. Um, and interestingly, access to care is associated uh, with uh, you know, quicker uh, recovery time. So if someone has access to, to proper management, proper diagnosis, proper, uh, proper care, then they're likely to have a faster recovery. Um, if someone has a longer recovery from concussion, um, there may be specific elements of that concussion that are, are contributing to that longer, um, yeah, longer return. And so these might be uh, neck issues, might be um, ocular motor, so the coordination with the eyes and the brain. It might be uh, the vestibular system, so uh, those sensors that we have in our ear canals that give us uh, information about the, the, the um, head's position in space. Um, the vestibular system is often involved in, uh, in prolonged concussion symptoms, um, issues with balance, um, and then uh, psychological uh, issues as well. And so um, if these are seen to be problems problematic, um, then we need to address these uh, individually. And we'll talk about those in a minute when we talk about rehabilitation. Um, the next R is uh, rest. Um, however, they've sort of changed that to rest and uh, exercise, which sort of uh, seems a little bit uh, contradictory, but I guess they wanted to keep their R's. Um, so we definitely need relative rest. So um, we need someone to, uh, you know, to pull away from activities um, to allow the concussive symptoms to settle, but then we need to start uh, applying exercise. And this is probably the biggest change in concussion management over the last decade. Uh, previously, we, we thought that it was, you know, complete rest until someone's concussion symptoms settled and then start to build back up. Um, but I guess it's sort of following uh, in line with other you know, musculoskeletal conditions where we know that complete rest isn't uh, useful um, for the healing of a tissue and you know the tissues need loading. Likewise, our brain needs loading. And we've, uh, we've come to see that you know, low load cardiovascular um, yeah, exercise, and we call this um, sub-symptom threshold aerobic exercise, um, can start as early as two days post-concussion. 
And so um, this is relevant for both acute and chronic uh, concussion. <clears throat> so we're basically uh, exercising to a point at which someone might experience a slight increase, say a, a two out of 10 increase in their concussion symptoms, but it's, if it settles within an hour, then that's fine. And that's shown to actually improve um, the, uh, the rate of, of uh, recovery from the concussion long-term. Do you suffer lower back pain while sitting in the office or during long haul travel? The lumber jacket may be just the solution you're looking for. This revolutionary product features a built-in inflatable and height-adjustable lower back support concealed within a fashionable and comfortable garment. Perfect for work and travel. Visit lumberjacket.com for more details or simply search Lumber Jacket on Amazon. The next R is refer. Um, so uh, if a medical professional has made that diagnosis, they're monitoring and they can see that uh, you know, something, you know, they're not recovering as expected, uh, then you're referring out um, to you know, perhaps for a neurologist, a vestibular specialist, um, a physiotherapist. So if there are sort of cervical issues, um, obviously physiotherapists are um, are experienced in concussion management from a general perspective, and we certainly perform vestibular, ocular motor rehab, as, as well as just general um, concussion-related load management. However, um, we are you know, especially specialised in um, the management of musculoskeletal conditions. So if the neck is um, relevant to someone's uh, concussion, which is often the case, someone will have, you know, if there's enough force um, yeah, there was sufficient force to cause a concussion. There's often sufficient force to also cause a neck injury. And it might be that uh, someone sustained an initial concussion, but it's actually some of the neck um, injury that is contributing to the ongoing symptoms there. So um, we've, we've definitely had people in the past that uh, have really responded well to neck treatment in relation to their concussion symptoms. Um, uh, we might need to re refer someone to a, a psychologist uh, if there is uh, deemed to be some um, psychological impact of the concussion. And obviously, again, if there was enough impact to cause a concussion, there might be enough uh, impact to cause some psychological trauma, which is impeding the recovery. Um, and, and people might also have underlying uh, mental health issues that are also contributing to the concussion. The next R is re-evaluate. Um, so yeah, as we're going through this management process, we're looking at our objective markers and subjective markers of some, how someone's uh, concussion is progressing. Um, and if, uh, you know, if someone has persistent problems, looking at um, what are the source of those problems. Now, um, we used to uh, deem anyone that had uh, ongoing concussion symptoms after 10 days as persistent. We now um, consider someone who has had symptoms for more than a month as persisting concussion symptoms. So I guess some of that terminology change is just to make it, put it in a little bit more of a positive light that um, you know, the, the symptoms are persist, they're, they're, they're going on, but it doesn't uh, you know, put them into a category where they've got this you know, rigid um, yeah, problem that is, is, is there and it's, uh, it's not really responding. So they've got these persisting symptoms, but um, uh, you know, there's still that scope for uh, a decrease in their symptoms. Once they get to three months, then, um, then we consider them uh, persistent. And so, you know, the persistent post-concussion syndrome, PPCS, 
um, you know, often associated with uh, cognitive impairment, um, ongoing headache, difficulty with balance, some dizziness, uh, and difficulty sort of focusing and reading, um, ongoing fatigue, um, intolerance to you know ambient sounds. Um, we have sort of photosensitivity, um, so you know, sensitivity to light, uh, fogginess, um, that sensation of just feeling slowed down, um, some mood disruption, um, and even some ongoing amnesia. Um, so if those symptoms are um, yeah, persisting past three months, then it becomes a little bit more of a complicated case and complex case. And so um, that's when it's really you know, important to have a multimodal approach with, with different um, health pr practitioners involved and, and making sure that uh, all those elements that we talked about before uh, you know, are continuing to be assessed and managed accordingly. Um, the next one is return to learn, um, and you know this is obviously you know, more relevant for younger athletes who are, are still at school or university. I think the same principles uh, can be used for returning someone to uh, the workplace. Um, we used to think that uh, someone needed to uh, avoid screens for um, basically as long as the, the concussion symptoms were present. We now know that uh, the avoidance of screen use is really only relevant for the first two days. Um, so we keep someone away from you know, tablets and computers and televisions for you know, 48 hours, but then after that we can reintroduce those, those modalities um, provided that um, you know, the symptoms don't increase. Um, there may need to be modifications for work and school environment. Um, so working habits may need to be made a change. So instead of working for two or three hour uh, chunks at a time, uh, you might need to break that up into 15 minutes with a couple of minute break uh, in between, um, just to try and allow you know, the visual system and the brain to recover um, from the stimulus that, that uh, it's receiving. Um, with school, there may need to be discussions with school and with teachers in terms of um, curriculum modifications, you know, testing modifications, um, so that the initial cognitive load when someone returns to, um, from a concussion uh, isn't too great to impair their recovery. However, it is important that um, students go back to school as, uh, as soon as is safe. Um, there used to be a, a trend uh, of having people avoid school for long periods of time. Um, however, we've sort of moved away from that and uh, we now uh, encourage an early return to school um, for obviously the, the social elements, um, but also you know, the, the effect that it has on the ongoing um, academic um, progress of the student. And then return to sport. Um, as with any return to, to activity, you know, it needs to be done in a graded fashion. So we've talked about how we would initially start someone off with a, a sub um, symptom, uh, sub symptom threshold aerobic exercise. We basically progress that to more intense exercise, and then um, you progress to, to using resistance exercise, where you do have uh, an increased um, you know, cerebral blood pressure when you're performing uh, you know, weight training. Um, and then progressing back to including more of cognitive demand, so um, on-field work, you know, reacting to external stimulus, whether it's visual or auditory stimulus. Um, and then we are, as we're going through this progression, we're making sure that someone's symptoms do, don't increase. So if someone does have an increase in symptoms as we're progressing the activity, then we basically regress uh, to yeah, that previous, uh, previous level. 
Um, and then once someone can tolerate that, we start to gradually increase um, you know, the amount of partner drills, working with other people, reacting, um, and then if it's necessary for the sport, reintroducing contact drills, uh, and then gradually progressing back to, um, to full contact practice. And then once someone has uh, returned safely to full contact practice, then um, returning back to play. And at that point, you know, depending on the condition, someone might need um, you know, protective headgear. And especially if there have been you know, facial or skull fractures associated with concussion, um, then other protective uh, equipment might be required. Uh, the next one is uh, reconsider. Um, and I think this goes in uh, with the, the next two, which are you know, residual effects and retirement, if, uh, if it's an athlete uh, and it's relevant to that athlete. Um, reconsider, we're essentially you know, reconsidering whether um, you know, uh, that sport or continue, uh, continuation of that activity is actually beneficial for the person. We do know that um, you know, professional American football players um, do have higher rates of um, uh, cognitive disorders and um, dementia. Uh, than, than uh, you know, other populations. Um, and we do know that professional football players and soccer players you know, have greater mortality rates from amyotrophic um, lateral sclerosis or ALS. Now there's obviously been you know, a lot of press attention and a lot of debate uh, regarding the long-term effects uh, of you know, uh, repeated head contact. Um, and we do know that uh, you know, diseases such as dementia and other cognitive diseases um, and the mortality or mortality rates associated with those uh, in American football players, for example, are greater than uh, control groups. Um, we also know that in um, former American football players and, and even soccer players, um, there's a greater incidence of um, amyotrophic um, lateral sclerosis or ALS. It's, Important to note, however, that um, these studies don't really show causation, they're correlative studies, and there's a lot of factors that can influence the outcomes of these studies. Um, they don't really take into consideration other genetic factors, um, uh, you know, um, you know, socioeconomic factors, um, education level, you know, smoking, hypertension, um, other comorbidities that may be relevant. CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy uh, is something that's been talked about a lot in recent years. Um, and to make this more of a, a clinical entity, um, it's been updated in terms of its de definition as CTE uh, NC or um, CTE neuropathologic change. Now, this is something that can only be diagnosed uh, post-mortem. So um, essentially what happens is you get uh, you know, an increased degeneration of death of the neurons. Um, and uh, as I said, you know, this is diagnosed uh, after someone passes away. So because of that, um, we still don't have a lot of research uh, in regards to the correlation between the incidence of these post-mortem findings um, and the either uh, numbers of traumatic brain injury or numbers of concussion or participation in certain activities. More recently, uh, TES, or tra Traumatic Encephalopathy Syndrome, um, has been uh, proposed as more of a clinical diagnosis um, that is thought to correlate with some of the changes that occur with um, uh, CTE. 
So this is you know, still in its early stages, um, but as we have more research you know, correlating the structural findings with the symptoms, we may be able to identify you know, earlier those patients that might be at risk of a development uh, and then be able to instigate a, an earlier treatment protocol. So even though there is you know, still a sort of positive uh, um, you know, solid research linking these symptoms, um, yeah, anecdotally, we do have uh, more and more uh, previous athletes, former athletes, and even current athletes coming out experiencing long-term cognitive uh, changes that are you know, attributed to you know, sports-related concussion. And so because of that, you know, someone who is involved in sport where there is a risk of concussion, and especially once they go down the path of having multiple concussions, because you know, as someone experiences more concussions, um, the concussion symptoms seem to be more severe, and the impact required to cause a concussion is often less and less. Um, they need to you know, put that into context with uh, you know, the, the, you know, the demands of the sport, what, what part that sport plays in their life, whether you know, it's their source of income, whether it's something that's yeah, very meaningful to them or whether it's just uh, an enjoyable hobby, um, you know, that needs to be uh, taken into account um, when making decisions re regarding return to play and long-term participation uh, and that needs to be um, weighed up with you know, family you know, commitments and, and uh, family responsibilities, you know, uh, work commitments and, uh, and study commitments as well. So I hope that has been of interest to you. Um, if you do suffer a, a concussion um, or you, you know someone who has suffered a concussion, please make sure that they get the appropriate care and have um, you know, a structured, uh, graded return to uh, learn, return to work and return to sport program. Um, and if you are participating in you know, sports that have a, a, a risk of, of concussion, then you know, for, for the sake of yourself or the people that you're participating with, um, try and become familiar with some of the symptoms that might be evident uh, after a concussion so that they can, uh, you or, or, yeah, or, or the people that you're with can seek the appropriate management. Thanks very much for watching and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Tokyo Living Podcast. If you enjoy the content, we'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you'd like to enjoy your podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on the next episode. Have a healthy and active week.